Hey, Real Talkers, despite losing the election in May, the Alberta NDP actually has a lot of things going for it. The party won more seats in typically conservative Calgary than the UCP did, and it earned more total votes across the province than when it formed government in 2015. Now, while leader Rachel Notley hasn't yet resigned, it's widely expected that she'll trigger the race to replace her in the new year. So who will it be? We get into it in this episode. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Well, grateful to have you joining us on this episode of Real Talk. In just a second, we're going to get into a conversation. We don't have a time limit on it. We've got our coffees topped up and we're going to let it breathe uh, with two individuals that know a hell of a lot about Alberta politics. We've got a former cabinet minister in the House and probably Alberta's most recognized political blogger, both joining us as we discuss the future of the Alberta NDP, the official opposition, plus some of the goings-on involving Alberta's elected officials right now, including a big delegation over in Dubai for COP28, the UN climate change convention i want to put something on your radar first though if you wake up on a morning like this or you're making way through the afternoon maybe you're listening to this podcast as you click 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 away at your desk a job that's just brutal you can't stand it you've been wanting to leave for years you know back to school (laughs) this past fall didn't have to just be for the kids if you're feeling stuck or unsatisfied in your job It's a perfect time. Maybe as we head into 2024 to go back to school for a new career, you can launch a rewarding career in real estate with Rello's affordable online courses that make it easy to pass your exam and get your license so you can get started with your own business, setting your own hours, you're your own boss, and plus unlimited earning potential as you help people buy or sell their homes. The best part about Rello, that's R-E-L-O, is how committed they are to your success. They've got live instructors that host online exam prep sessions every Saturday and they've got a bunch of great resources to help you launch your real estate business well after you've passed the exam and gotten licensed. Here's an even cooler part. Because you're hearing about this on Real Talk, you're in a position to save 20%. Knock a fifth of the price off any Rello course with the code REALTALK. That's all one word, REALTALK, when you get started today at Rello.ca. Well, for years, people that have been wanting to make sense of Alberta politics, stay on top of storylines, have been going to DaveBerta.ca. This guy, Dave Cornwyer, the straw that stirs the drink over there, has been at this for years and is a great friend of this show. He's joining us in studio this morning. Nice to see you, Dave. Welcome back. Nice to see you, Ryan. How many years have you been doing Dave Bert? Oh, at least? my goodness. Feels like 10. You, well, more than 10. It was, yeah. it was January 2005. So what is that? 18? Almost 20. Almost almost 20. That's almost 20. Yeah, almost 20. Was anybody even like you were one of the first bloggers probably in Western Canada covering politics on a regular basis? Yeah, you know what? The the, the mid 2000s was kind of like a golden age of like early blogging. It was like you had, um, uh, you know, new platforms like Blogger that just started anybody. Anybody. It was the first time that anybody could just go and create a blog and just write about whatever they want. So a lot of people had blogs. But when I started mine, I really focused on Alberta politics because it was what I was interested in. And honestly, like 18-ish years later, I didn't really think I'd still be. I mean, I didn't know if I'd still be doing it. It was just something that I started. But I mean, here we are. Um, you know, I now got a now running a, um, a Dave Burdoff Substack, got a, a 
big podcast. subscriber list, a lot of supporters, got a podcast. Um, very grateful for everyone who is continuing to read what I write about Alberta politics. Well, I love it. Well, you 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 prompted us to be talking about this. One of your most recent posts at DaveBerta.ca, the race to replace Rachel Notley as leader of the Alberta NDP. We knew, though, that for these musings today, for this talk to have validity we needed an insider we need somebody who's seen it all and that's why we're grateful that darren billis is joining us uh darren uh, a longtime mla and a cabinet minister he was one of the you know this story the orange crush in 2015 when the alberta ndp went from four to 54 seats you were one of the four. So you have experience as a, you know, a fledgling party. You have experience in a majority government. And, and then, of course, in cabinet as well, uh, Minister of Municipal Affairs, Minister of Service, Alberta, and, and more recently, Minister of Economic Development and Trade. You didn't lose an election when you walked away from politics. You did it of your own volition and now a senior VP at Council Public Affairs. It's nice to see your face. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, hit your mic there, the white button. That yeah. Thanks, so when Ryan. you when when you think back from from four to fifty four, um, just to set the table here, how many people were absolutely blown away and caught off guard within the party when when Rachel Notley and the rest of you formed Everyone. government? <laughs> Everyone. Um, and I can tell a funny story. So you know, we we started to feel it on the doors in in week two, where the numbers were coming back in, and Dave will appreciate this party's uh, number. The, the responses. So a supporter, you know, whether it's a letter A or a number one, uh, where they say, yes, I'm going to vote for you. I'm going to vote for the party. And if they say, no, nope, I'm a conservative or get off my door or whatever, then there are four, right? They're, they're, they're the opposites. And so uh, the numbers were just pouring in the, the support. And, you know, I remember campaign managers going like, this, this doesn't make sense. You, you can't possibly be seeing this level of support. And so we, we knew something was going on. And uh, it was about uh, the third week that uh, that Rachel called um, me, Mason, Egan, and, and her to an undisclosed location uh, where uh, we had the conversation of, it looks like we're about to form a majority government. What was the location? I'm just curious. I can't even remember. It was a hotel. Okay. I was thinking, I was like, like the Empress, <laughs> like the, you know, one of the famous uh, bars on White Avenue or something yeah, like no. that. That's where I see that conversation happening. Well, we'll, we'll talk today about whether the party needs a name change and, and who will succeed Rachel Notley. To be clear, she's not yet resigned as leader, but it's widely expected that she will uh, probably in the next short while. But why don't Pay attention to what's going on in the news right now. You know, I, I'm grateful to have a former minister of economic development and trade to ask this very direct question. Can you justify, I'm not asking you, Darren Billis, but can Premier Danielle Smith, can this current conservative government justify sending a significant delegation over to Dubai for COP28. A lot of people are saying uh, it's federal jurisdiction. Uh, you know, the United Conservatives are only over there to deny climate change, which I think is overly simplistic. But from an economic development and, and deal doing side, can you justify it? Yeah, I think absolutely you can. Um, I can tell you, Ryan, that uh, when I held a portfolio of economic development and trade, one of the things we did was bring a large contingent of Alberta companies with us on trade missions. Because we, you know, some some jurisdictions want to see a government to government relationship uh, before they're comfortable doing business uh, with uh, with Alberta companies, and so you know, I had said during the Kenny era that it was a shame that they never went to COP to talk about what Alberta is doing. Uh, if I was a producer here in Alberta, I would have been quite frustrated with the Kenny government that you never went to say, hey. Look at what we're doing on methane. Look at how we're reducing our GHGs. Look at our path to net zero. That wasn't government telling them they had to. That was industry on their own. And so I think 
you know, I, I definitely think it's worthwhile to to be there, uh, to be at COP and uh, and to have these conversations. Now, we can talk about the response to the feds coming out with their methane regs where it's like uh, it's almost a mirror of what we're already doing in Alberta. Uh-huh. And so was that response warranted or again, are we playing to the base? Yeah, well, I mean, so, yeah, let's let's sort of sum it up. So the, the, the response is happening as the delegations over in Dubai. And the response basically is that Alberta doesn't support it. Alberta can't support it. It's not feasible. It's not doable. And and this argument or this messaging is running parallel to look at this net zero uh, Dow chemical investment that's being made. Look at all these advancements that are being made in Alberta right now. Can, can, can you sort of uh, run those two messages parallel and have anybody buy into it? Is, is the message sellable? I'm not talking to, to their base, so I don't know if the base is buying it, but uh, I think others are scratching their heads saying, you know, again, the goalposts, I think the Fed said 2012 uh, methane uh, emission target and in Alberta, we have 2014 as uh, um, going back to. So they're almost identical. Yeah. Do politicians have to worry about their base when they're six months into a new mandate, three and a half years away from an election? There's no AGM anytime soon. I, Daniel Smith doesn't have to lose sleep over approval. I think this this government in particular is is really good and really focused on speaking to its base. And you can see from from day one when they when the legislature started the uh the uh, the the I mean we didn't even really talk about it didn't even really talk about it after they introduced it but first of all the first bill was a referendum on any tax increases on any personal or corporate tax increases if that isn't speaking to a conservative base I don't know what is and then since then sovereignty act um, uh, opposing uh, uh, the federal draft federal clean energy regulations um, I mean everything this government has been doing is speaking to its base. And I think that was clear that when Daniel Smith became premier, when she won the UCP leadership, that's how she won it. And I don't think they've really skipped a beat since then. I mean, during the election was a little different. They presented Daniel Smith as kind of a, a they, they got rid of the more, didn't want to talk about some of the more controversial things like an Alberta pension plan, for example, which is a big issue right now. Um, but since then, I think that the, the real uh, the real focus of this government's agenda is speaking to its base. And I mean, you can see it with the with the opposition to basically any kind of proposed energy regulations that come or any energy changes that come out, out of Ottawa. It's whatever comes out of Alberta is good and we're doing great and look at what we can do. And anything that comes out of Ottawa is no, that's unreasonable and we can't do that. And that's all speaking to its base. And I think that's really what a lot of the messaging coming out of this trip to Dubai is about, is about, look what Alberta can do, we can do differently from the federal government. And I think there's a lot, I mean, you know, going back to the question of, is there value in going to these types of meetings and doing these inter international trips? I think there is. I think there's a lot of value. I think it's, sometimes it's hard to quantify, like what exactly the value is for, you know, sending 100 delegates to Dubai or going to a conference in Washington or New York or London. Um, but I think it's important that, uh, that Alberta be there and that our voice, the government's voice be heard. Um, I think that, you know, the government's agenda uh, you know, might not be the most, the provincial government's agenda, even the federal government's agenda might not, might not be that productive. I'm not sure that we're really going to see any meaningful action against climate change coming out of COP28 uh, in Dubai. I mean, looking at the coverage that I've, I've been watching, it looks more like an oil and gas trade show than, than it does an actual like serious climate change conference. And I yeah. think that's what you get when you hold a conference like that in a major oil say, producing. It, exactly. I mean, isn't the, the chair of this conference, isn't he like the president of the the uh, Emirates uh, like that, National dude. Oil Company? Like, I mean, this isn't it, it. It's hard to take it seriously, which is disappointing because climate change is, you know, it's a very serious issue. Yeah, and and I'll also say, and like you know, Darren, I, it's, it's kind of funny. This is the first time I'm interviewing you since you've been a minister. I'm, I'm going to be calling you minister and all this, and then you'll probably tell me to lay off of it. But but uh, you you can't 
have meaningful conversation on climate change without involving industry, without yep. involving the big emitters, right? 100%. Like in so many ways as Rachel Notley's, uh, what, what was the panel, the oil sands panel, you know, when she included Zipporah Berman. Remember that? Zipporah's been on the show. As a matter of fact, Zipporah joined us from COP last year. Okay. Uh, that was when she most recently interviewed with us. But, but people had to say, well, you can't have... Uh, Rachel Notley wouldn't be able to sell her plan to industry and wouldn't be able to sell her plan to the environmental lobby or to the average person if she didn't have those diverse voices represented on a panel. And I do think you have to have voices of industry at COP. But if people feel like those voices are the loudest ones at the table or the other voices aren't meaningfully represented or there's multi-billion dollar deals happening on the floor and, and nothing's really changing on the climate change front, then people might start to question the validity of a convention like that. Yeah. I don't know. No, for sure. And I think, you know, again, when, when you're when governments are coming up with these kind of policies, I mean, you have to engage with industry. Uh, you know, there's one thing, you know, obviously speaking from experience that we learned is, is, you know, you can have really great ideas, but you need to hear the, the you know, what's the impact or the consequences of those ideas intended and unintended. And, uh, you know, that's where I really enjoyed working with industry to say, hey, listen, we're considering X, Y, Z and, and getting their input. Um, but uh, to, to your point, you know, I, I do think industry, especially the oil and gas sector, recognize that they have a huge part to play in this. Um, and so, uh, again, you know, I, I keep going back to the, the Kenny years, but, uh, you know, there was industry saying, no, 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 we want to meet these climate goals. And it was the Kenny government that was standing up and saying, no, 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 nobody's going to impose this on you. It's like, no, they realize that they need to, you know, reduce their GHGs, pull carbon out of the barrel, et cetera. Um, we've got some interesting comments happening on the live chat right now. That's interesting is the word I use when I'm trying to decide how, uh, you know, the, the, the magnitude of, 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 of the fire I'd like to return on here. But, uh, but yeah, it's kind of funny that people, people feel, and, and maybe we'll talk about politics and polarization. You know, I, I sort of said here, um, my position on this and, and Adler and I got into it on Monday. Um, you know, Adler is like whatever Danielle Smith does, Adler fucking hates it. That's basically his position. Um, and my position of the promise I'll make to this audience is I'm going to take a look at situations and scenarios and policies and, and, and judge them on their merit, which is what I've done for my entire career. And so I've spoken very critically, for example, about the wind and solar moratorium. I think it's boneheaded. I think it's ridiculous. Um, I think it's stapling industry's feet to the floor. Uh, quite frankly, I think it's indefensible. But on something like COP, um, I 100% support them going, you know, people, you know, like Adler on Monday says, well, who's, you know, who is having the government pay for their trip over there? Well, are you a government employee doing government business? Like in what world, in what industry are the employees paying their own freight to go to conferences for work? So I think some people have kind of lost the plot a little bit, um, but that's okay because this show will bring everybody back. <laughs> we'll bring you back to reasonable conversation. Uh, deep on breaths, the moratorium. Deep breaths. Deep breaths, everybody. Um, <laughs> is there any way, like, is it true, Darren, as far as you know or knew, the insights you had of the legislature, what you saw happening with industry and investment in renewables? Was it the Wild West? Was it necessary for this government to press pause for seven months on hundreds of millions of dollars of renewables expansion in Alberta. Did you see anything when you were there at the legislature that led you to believe that this was a real problem, that this could be Orphan Wells 2.0? 
Well, I don't know about when I was there, but I can tell you that since I've left, I've had many, many conversations. And so, you know, I'll be the first to say that that the government did uh, a terrible job uh, communicating the the moratorium on renewables and, and the pause on renewables. Um, quite frankly, it reminded me of how poorly we communicated Bill 6. Um, you know, two different two different topics. But, you know, what I've, and I'm not defending this pause on renewables, but what's interesting is when we were government, we saw that our electricity market needed to change. We were an energy only market, and I'll try not to go down the rabbit hole too far, uh, and started to transition our, our market, and we couldn't do it in our four-year term. And then Kenny came in and completely reversed it. And so the, the, the electricity market is, is, is about to go through an overhaul, and I think that that there were changes needed to be able to accommodate the volume of renewables that were coming in. But what I found interesting on this was that the government of Alberta is actually obligated, once a a generator is up and running, it's the GOA that has to pay for um, the the, the connectivity, the transmission costs. And so if you think about this, the volume of renewables that was coming on board, um, I think that's part of the reason why the government hit the pause button. Huh. Little scoop here on Real Talk. Do you think that this is the type of thing? A lot of people said that this isn't something you'd expect a conservative government to do. Because if you look at basically who got screwed over the most in the in in the renewables pause, that moratorium, um, it a lot. I mean, I'm I'm not discounting the fact that some workers probably did have their employment interrupted. But you know, we have a solar partner, Kubi Renewable Energy. I said, how badly screwed did you guys get? He said, not at all. He said, we we've been looking to hire forever. He says we've been trying to find skilled laborers. Mm-hmm. Then he goes and they just flooded the market with them. So Kubi leveled up there. So they actually got hooked up and helped, uh, which maybe some other smaller operators did. But when mm-hmm. you're talking about the the PCLs and the, the big, big Melkor, the big construction companies that are building these projects, they can't have been happy. And if you're talking about satiating your base as a conservative government. You're typically not trying to freeze out billion dollar businesses. Yeah, but I think there's a there's a, a real skepticism among some in the UCP base about renewable energy and about wind and solar. And I think that's the difference is I don't think this is a when you talk about the UCP base, I mean, yes, there are there are traditional conservatives, but I think there's this I mean, we talk about populism, you talk about kind of, I don't know, conspiracy theories around uh, around renewables. And you talk about uh, the role that oil and gas plays not only in our politics, but in our culture here in Alberta. And that's I think I, on, on a side, I think that's something that that politicians like Stephen Givo really fundamentally don't understand is how big of a role in our culture oil and gas plays. But going back to the to wind and solar, I mean, I wrote a couple months ago about, I looked at Daniel Smith's columns in the Calgary Herald going back all the way to the, I think the late 1990s. And she has been consistently skeptical of wind and solar in columns, you know, almost every year uh, since, since she started writing for the Calgary Herald many years ago. Um, so I think that that is part of a play. That is part of the play. I think that, that the seed was already there. I think there was already deep skepticism of wind and solar uh, in the premier's office before this moratorium happened, even though they didn't really talk about it during the UCP leadership race. Even well, I appreciate, I appreciate you saying the premier's office, too, because I think you, 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 you don't have to dig very deep to find video of her uh, executive director of her office, Rob Anderson, I'm, I'm, former MLA, former Wild Rose MLA, of course. I mean, that, if mm-hmm. she's skeptical of wind and solar, he, he wants to you know, take the pits for carbon capture and put it down there. That's where he wants it. There's a lot of uh, Rob Anderson has a lot of Facebook videos out there. He's he hosted a a video 
uh, series during the pandemic. And there's, I think it's called Rob Anderson Unfiltered. And I think, oh. I think they're all on, all still on Facebook. You might take them down after I say this, but yeah. Um, but it's a, uh, it's a greatest hits of uh, everything you'd expect coming from that, that, that wing of the conservative uh, movement in Alberta. Yeah, maybe somebody should do a mashup for the holidays and just remind everybody what's going on. I just want to add one one quick thing to this conversation. So no doubt that it had a, a negative impact on, on investments in Alberta. And, and coming from a government that says we're open for investment, Alberta's open, open, open. Now you've just shut down a whole industry. It did have a chill. And I can, I can tell you, I'm, I'm speaking from talking with companies that they said this has put a, a chill. But the other thing that's interesting is Again, it's not oil and gas versus renewables. So a lot of, of oil and gas companies are wanting to make renewable investments of to course. help them reduce their emissions. They're That's how they get companies, energy right? companies. They're right? energy so companies. A lot of those companies were extremely frustrated because they didn't have projects in the queue yet. And so they're saying, well, listen, on the one hand, we're being told, you know, this is what we need to do. And yet the way that we're going to get there, you've just you've just tied our hands. Yeah, right. Um, we we are like uh, more than twenty minutes into this episode, and we haven't even started talking about what I asked you two to come here to talk <laughs> about. Uh, but this is why we want to do shows like this. This is what sets real talk apart from the the terrestrial radio talk shows. Is we can take our time, we can find our way there, we can take audience questions, we can meander uh, as we hang out with Darren Billis and Dave Cornwaye here on this Alberta Politics edition of the show. Hey, speaking of our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy, I want to put this on your radar. We never know who an episode is going to reach and this this might be your moment you're 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 a certified energy professional you're a sparky you've had your ticket you've been working as an electrician maybe in oil and gas like kubi's founder jake was yeah he was a journeyman working in oil and gas as an electrician he, he saw a trend and he couldn't ignore it and he saw a business opportunity and now they're employing like 130 people and growing and that means that they're looking for talented individuals to help western canada remain a leader on the renewables front if you're seeking a new horizon in your electrical career you could maybe even just be an apprentice at this point join kubi to make an impact as a solar installer your skills will be cherished at their company. They'll get you that comprehensive training. So it's a seamless shift. This is a great way to keep your career momentum. Get ready to master solar system installations and shine with Kubi Renewable Energy. You can check out the careers link today at kubienergy.ca. Our friends at Friesen Brothers want to let you know that, uh, of course, as a family-owned business, get this, since 1955, they understand what's so special about this time of year, and that is quality time with your loved ones, oftentimes around the dinner table. They invite you to check out their Ukrainian-inspired Christmas dinner box. You can either order it in-store, 16 locations across the province, or you can go online. Place your order today at cateringbyfreezen.com slash Christmas dinner box. This is what my family does. It allows us to sit down and chill. You put it in the oven, it warms up, and boom, you have a Red Seal chef-prepared dinner courtesy of the team at Friesen Brothers. We also wanted to mention our friends at Complete Care Restoration. And we told you this amazing story of theirs just yesterday, a BMO climate certified insurance company. And what's especially cool about that, they're the only one in the province of Alberta, the only one. And so when you see fire or flood being repaired, mold, asbestos, you name it, all the nasty, gnarly stuff, you know, typically 100% of the materials cleared from demolition are going straight to a landfill. The team at Complete Care is so proud of the system they've developed 
They are now recycling an average of 71% of all material taken off a job site. Can you believe that? 71% on average is recycled. Just another reason why the next time you hear of someone, or perhaps it happens to you, disaster strikes, you need to know where to turn. We recommend you trust Complete Care Restoration. Hanging out with Dave Cornwallier. He is the magic behind Dave Berta. What do you, is it even, do you even call it a blog? What do you call it? I know a lot of people have been steering away from, is it a website? It's, it's a, a website. It's it, a blog. It's, it's a, a media newsletter. company is what it is. I, well, I guess it is. Right? It's the first time I've ever heard anybody call yeah, it a media a company. A media company, which, which, which makes you a, sort of the head of a media empire. Kind of a big deal. Very micro empire. Small Mi- micro empire. empire. Micro empire. I don't know if that's a, sort of like a plastic <laughs> it's a, it's silverware. A, it, local <laughs> celebrity. It, it's like, it's like, it's a princedom in the big scheme of things. Yeah, this, this, right. this is an empire here. Oh, this yeah, yeah. And former mayor, uh, former minister of municipal affairs, economic uh, trade development, um, Darren Billis, economic development and trade, I should say. Um, I, I have this uh, sort of thing. I wasn't planning on doing this, but just because I, sometimes I start giggling inside and I love putting people in tough spots and putting them in hot water. You can go to DaveBerta.ca and you can see the headline, The Race to Replace Rachel Notley as Leader of the Alberta NDP. But... But if you scroll up, you will find the most recent post. And this is the <laughs> annual tradition. And this is where Darren's going to shake his head. He's not going to appreciate this at all. It's Dave's Best of Alberta Politics 2023 survey, where yeah. you have to provide answers yep. on who you think is doing a great job. And I'm sure that Darren has a lot of friends at the legislature. <laughs> are you are you hating me already? Because you know where we're, I wasn't planning on this, but I just can't help myself. It's the seventh annual Dave Berta best of Alberta politics survey. And we want to get thousands of people to do this because it's always so fun to see where Albertans are landing. But how do you guys feel about going through on this? You want to answer a few questions? Rapid fire questions? Darren can't stand me right now. <laughs> the best Alberta MLA of 2023. Uh, are you going to pollute your survey if you give oh. your answers right now on the show? Well, I mean, people will vote however they they vote. Who That's... is the best Alberta MLA of 2023? Well, I, I think for the, the past three years, it's been Janice Irwin. She's for the past three years, readers of Dayberta have voted Janice Irwin as the best uh, best Alberta MLA. And what do you think it is about her performance that has them choosing her? I think she's incredibly personable. She's hardworking. I think she gets. I also think that that's something that's really important that uh, some MLAs, a lot of MLAs don't get is I think she really gets how to communicate and talk with people online. She has a huge social media following. And I mean, part, you know, I think I think that part of it is her personality. Um you know, maybe some of it is her cat oregano, who's now who's the interfa- <laughs> internet famous cat, as many uh, many Alberta political watch watchers will know. Um, but no, I think she gets it. I think she's personable. She's down to earth. She's hardworking. She's my MLA uh, in Edmonton Highlands, Norwood, and she's everywhere. I think she's probably one of the hardest constituency uh, constituency working MLAs in, in the in the province. And it's always hard to tell. People ask me all the time. They're like, "Who do you think the hardest working MLA is?" I'm like, "Well, it's it's a hard. That's a very hard question to ask because you don't know necessarily." Well, I don't know because I don't hear what's happening. You know, I mean, I don't know what's happening in in some writings. I know I know some MLAs who are you know very prolific in speaking in the legislature, who are very prolific on Twitter or, or X or on the internet and and their on their social media platforms. Um, but I don't necessarily know how they're doing in their writings, how their constituents feel about. So it's kind of a, it's a hard thing to gauge. So you get to, you know, I have to have to, have to couch it in, in these terms is, you know, some MLAs do really well, do really good committee work, which is really boring for most people and stuff that most people don't even know totally. about. 
you know, some people are good. Some MLAs are really good at, at, you know, research and the, doing the stuff in the background. Some MLAs are, are, you know, maybe almost ghosts in the legislature, but they're really good constituency workers and they do good work for their constituents and their writings, helping them through their constituency offices and show up at community events. Yeah. Um, I think Janice is a good mix of all those three. Uh, Darren, or four things. Yeah. The best Alberta MLA of 2023. Who would you tap on the shoulder? Who would you recognize? So, and don't say there's a whole bunch of them. <laughs> well, no, but what I want to say is that the, the challenge with the one means that everybody else is less than. Yes, that's and how so, it works. Yeah, but the, the, I don't think that's a that's a, a I don't think that's fair <laughs> to be honest. Where that's fair. You know, there are times when uh, you know, and again, I mean, I've, I've I've followed your blog, Dave, for for years, right? And uh, and when I was first starting out. Uh, for me, it was like, oh, yeah, I made Dave's blog. Like he mm, mentioned me. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, to your point, the public doesn't know how hard an MLA is working at their community events and, and everything else. Now, the rise of social media has has changed that where 20 years ago, only the people in those rooms would have heard and seen who was there. Mm -hmm. um, but there's 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 many hardworking MLAs in the legislature. And I got to tell you, you know, being in government, uh, so having a portfolio is like two full-time jobs. Um, you know, we're talking 12 to 14 hour days every day, six days a week. Um, the ones that are that are really hustling. Uh, Man, I, I would see and I see how it, how how they work politicians and I understand and it's and it's so necessary as well to do the glad handing and the baby kiss and what's post COVID you're not kissing babies anymore but at least posing no. for photos with <laughs> them um, but you you understand what I mean the yeah. work at the ground level and the networking and the you know the totally. kind of the greasing the wheels all that and and then never mind the door knocking well, which would be a nightmare and I was going to say me. so the, the the you know the advice that I've given the new MLAs is that uh, you keep door knocking in your especially in your first term you should be going out twice a week every week yeah, uh, which is what I did in Beverly Clareview. Even if you're nowhere close to an election, doesn't even matter. if everything's going mm -hmm. fine. Doesn't matter because those conversations, that's where voters go, we're nowhere near an election. Why are you on my door? And, you know, I took the position of if I want to represent you, then I need to come and talk to you and find out what's important to you. Yeah. And that is much more meaningful than posting things online. Great answer, Darren. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, our judges have ruled yeah, we yeah. are still going right, to need a name from you. The best Alberta MLA of 2023. You know, I hate that frame, the best. I know you do. I think, uh, I think you, that you there's... You can give honorable mentions, too. There's there's a number... <laughs> well, then I'd be listing a lot of people uh, for honorable mentions. But um, no, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll talk... Uh, I'll, I'll give you a name, Ryan. Sure. Uh, and it's someone who, especially when I was still in MLA in our last year, was working really hard. Uh, getting out and engaging, especially with the business community, the private sector, um, and uh, and and doing well for herself is Racky Pancholi. I like it. Yeah, that's my choice for 2023. Racky Pancholi, the best Alberta cabinet minister of 2023. Interesting question for a former cabinet minister yeah. to answer. I need I need to think about this. Who plays for a different team? Okay, Dave, do you have one that really caught your eye or that impressed you? Now it's interesting here as well because mm -hmm. you can go under two premiers. Right. A cabinet minister in 2023 could be either someone who is serving under Jason Kenny. Well, or, Ken, Kenny pardon me, not, not, yeah. You're so right. This is pre-election and post-election. Pre-election, post-election is what I should say. I remember who was around before the election. So you'd have two different cabinets. Yeah, that's in right. Theory, yeah. right? Like, you know, Danielle Smith's first cabinet and her second Travis cabinet. Travis Taves would have. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, no, yeah, never mind. Taves would have been. No, was, was he? In, well, he would have. When did he resign to seek leadership? That would have been right was 2022. It would have been like February. Yeah. I'm drawing a blank. Did he come back? He came back as finance minister after. Travis Tate because the yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah he did yeah yeah okay, no he stayed right. he stayed as Daniel Smith's uh, cabinet or finance, finance minister, minister yeah, until, until he election. until the election until right. he was on. 
but he would have resigned in like because when was the leadership? It was like in October, right? The yeah. election was in May. Yeah. So okay, yeah. But then so she brought him back on. That's okay. right. Like, so so you'd have so this will be a purely uh, a purely Smith cabinet, but two different cabinets. Oh yeah, jeez. Yeah. You know what? I I, I I launched the survey and I didn't even really put some put thought into who I thought this would is be. fun to this turn is, the tables. This is this is. I I want to. Um, I think I want to. Uh, take a little bit of a different angle, and I want. I think that I, I wrote that wrote a piece a couple months ago about the remarkable political comeback of someone who, when Danielle Smith became premier, was basically pushed to the back benches and looked like his political career was probably on the outs. And that's Jason Nixon, ah. who was Jason Kenney's chief lieutenant, was a government house leader under very very closely connected and associated with with Jason Kenney. He really put all his cards in 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 Kenny's political future, Kenny's success as premier, which didn't work out for I mean, didn't work out for Jason Kenny, um, but then didn't work out for Jason Nixon, at least at least initially. But after the election, he was brought back into cabinet. And I think that was a really interesting move on on Daniel Smith's part, because I think Jason Nixon um, for, you know, all his people will fault him for being a, a, a firebrand UCP partisan and a firebrand Jason Kenny supporter. Uh, but I think he's probably one of the smartest political minds inside that mm. inside that cabinet. So I think bringing him back into cabinet was probably a really, really smart political move on Daniel Smith's part. And I'd also like to point out that another person who was brought back into the cabinet after the election who was dropped when Daniel Smith became premier was Rick McIver, who is the most experienced UCP MLA has you know had many years experience as as an MLA was a cabinet minister uh, under the Progressive Conservative government was a longtime city councilor in Calgary um, was dropped from cabinet when uh, when Daniel Smith became premier but after the election was brought back in as municipal affairs minister and I thought that was also a very smart move bringing two experienced veterans back into cabinet when you know the UCP had lost they lost a lot of seats in the election they lost a lot of cabinet ministers in the election Tyler Shandro Jason Copping Casey Madu uh, and I'm sure I'm missing others. Um, but uh, I think bringing those those two back in was was a smart political move, um, and I'm not sure I'd put them as best cabinet ministers, but I I definitely put them as uh, um, uh, uh, you know ones to watch going going into the next couple of years. Yeah, <laughs> can I jump in on that? So so my answer um, so pre uh, not pre Smith, but a cabinet minister who did very very well was Travis Tapes. I think he was a star on their side. Yep. Um, and it was a huge loss when he decided not to run again. Um, and and I even said that to him. Um, and so, you know, to your point on, on Nixon and McIver, I honestly think they got removed from cabinet to send them a message. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind that those two did not support Daniel Smith for leader. Yeah. And so, um, you know, strategic on her part in, in bringing them back in. And I think... You know, Nixon's got a huge following out in rural Alberta. Mm -hmm. um, and so part of that was, again, uh, her not wanting to pick a fight with the base. Big time. Yeah. And, um, and, and a powerful family like him, his brother, yeah. uh, you yeah. know, even even his parents, the influence they have in Calgary. I think they're the founders of the mustard, mustard seed, yeah. or at yep. least, right? Yep. So, and, and by the way, I do want to mention as well that our, our thoughts are, are with the Nixon family right now. Obviously, that uh, horrific Absolutely. Uh, car accident and yeah. his son is, is, at the time that we're recording this, my understanding is that his son is in critical condition and we're thinking about the Nixon family of course um i get you know what you know whose name comes up I, I don't know this guy too well but the name nate glubish comes up time and time again and and, and seems to me strikes me as relatively well respected uh, yes. in the space mm -hmm. he's running which is like tech and innovation he is he is and i think you know um i mean i've got a great relationship with nate and i think he really has come into his portfolio where you know he's now two-term cabinet minister 
because um, he was under Kenny as well. And I think, you know, again, th there's there's no playbook or or guide on how to be a minister and how to do your job. And and quite frankly, there's nothing that prepares a person for it. Um, all the different responsibilities and decisions and pressures that you're under. But I, I do think that uh, that he's, you know, Nate's really come into his own. And I think, you know, he also, I know, asked the premier for that portfolio because he's got a personal passion uh, for the tech space. Huh. And uh, and I think we're, we're seeing it, right? That yeah. uh, that he's doing what he can to support what's already happening. But, uh, you know. Uh, we're, we're having so much fun doing this. We still haven't got to like if the Alberta NDP needs a name change. It's December, man. Everyone's chilling. This is like, I, you know who I'm envisioning? <clears throat> I'm envisioning somebody that's driving to Jasper right now and they're just listening to this and they don't care if we're, they don't care. They, they want to hear about politics. We got two people who know what they're talking about. We will eventually get around to who's going to replace Rachel Notley. Um, the best opposition MLA of 2023, you've kind of answered it already, right? Yeah, you, you you know you kind of answered it already. That's a yep. separate question. Sure. Best yep. opposition. We've already said best Alberta MLA. You both have given oh, your going answers. Back to that list. Uh, the <laughs> up the up and coming MLA to watch in twenty twenty four. I'll Ooh. go first for just because I'm I putting you two answers. on the spot. Yep. Yeah, I think uh, super impressed by Nashwan Elgenade down in yep. Calgary, mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. I think that she'll have a if she elects to stay in politics. Um, I think she'll have a bright future in that party. Uh, so that'd be mine. Who do you think, Darren? So I'm going to pick three because I think I think Najwan is one of them. I also think Court Ellingson is another one. He was uh, a VP with Calgary Economic Development. That's how I got to know him. Um, and uh, and a third is Jody, Jody Callahoo Stonehouse. Yes. I think those those three, like I think, you know, quite frankly, the 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 quality of candidates that the NDP fielded in this election uh, was uh you know, much more uh, qualified candidates, people who are experts in their field. I mean, Dr. Luann Metz, uh, you know, is uh, is uh, a neurologist. Like, you've got heavy hitters uh, as far as candidates go. And so I think there's, there's quite a few to watch. I mean, I know I just named three. I, I could probably name, you know, three quarters of, uh, of the new, uh, new Democrats. Um, who's the, the up and comer that you're most keeping a keen eye on, Dave? I, well, I think Najwan is one of them. One of them, and I think she got a lot of profile around. I mean, the, we just we talked about the wind and solar, the wind and solar, solar moratorium, and it was really her opportunity to. I mean, the first opportunity as an opposition MLA. I mean, you know, brand new, brand new MLA uh, elected in Calgary, Glenmore, um, and you know, what's the, what's one of the biggest issues, the biggest political controversies to come out of the first, you know, the first few months after the election? Well, it falls right into your portfolio, and I think she handled it really well, and and she's definitely one one I'd watch. The other one is um, uh, Samir Kayend from uh, Calgary Elbow, which is, I mean, first of all, just saying, I mean, I'm a political nerd that the NDP were able to win Calgary Elbow, which is, a, you know, was Ralph Klein's Ralph seat, Klein's was riding, Allison Greg Clark's Greg riding, Clark's, Allison yeah. Redford's. Um, this is like, this wasn't even a riding that they won in 2015 when they swept, uh, swept Cal swept when the orange, orange wave happened in 2015. Um, so, I mean, that, that, that was huge in, in, in this election because I don't think it was a sure bet. Um, or wouldn't have been even just a, just just a few years ago, but he's one I'm I'm watching as well. Um, uh, he's the NDP have structured their critic portfolios, their kind of critic list, um, pairing new MLAs with veteran MLAs and kind of splitting critic roles. So the finance role is split between uh, Samir and Shannon Phillips, who's the MLA for for Lethbridge West, a uh, vet, veteran NDP MLA. Her name will come up in a minute here. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, uh, uh, in other portfolios, they've done the same. Energy. I think with, and energy is 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 another one that they've done. Health is another one. Municipal affairs. And I think that's on on the NDP's part, having elected a large group of MLAs but not forming government. 
um, finding a meaningful role for those new MLAs, especially those new MLAs who were probably expecting or told that they, there was a good chance they were going to be cabinet ministers, um, especially in Calgary. Um, finding a meaningful role for them in opposition was is very important for uh, uh, for for the NDP caucus going in, in, into the next few years and making sure that they feel that they they're 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 that they're not wasting their time being in opposition because being in opposition is a lot different than being in government and finding <clears throat> a, a, a yeah and finding so a meaningful it's role not, for them. It's not necessarily like easy to oppose, but let's be honest, it's easy to oppose. It's easy, Ryan. You know, you can you can throw mud and make claims. Totally, and, and you don't have to be able to. Why isn't the government doing X, Y, Z? That's yes. all you have to say. If, if, if I was yeah. here, this would not be a problem. In government, it's, okay, so what is the solution? And the solution is much more complex. It's much more nuanced. It's much more challenging, right? And so, like, being in opposition is a lot easier than, uh, than governing, for sure. Totally. Uh, Darren Billis, what, in the context of politics, what was the biggest issue of 2023? In the election? Uh, well, you answer it how you like. But this is according to the the, the survey, the annual Dave Berta Best of Alberta Politics survey at DaveBerta.ca, the biggest issue of 2023. So I think the biggest estimate. issue right now is, is and it's across the country and in Alberta, it's affordability. 100%. Like that is the number one issue. People are feeling squeezed on, on a number of fronts. It's not just one thing. You know, whether it's it's cost of living, it's food, it's it's fuel. It's all of it. Um, you know, again, we're, we're going through shrinkflation right now where, uh, you know, the, the, a bag of chips that you bought two years ago has, it's it, the bag is the same size or maybe even bigger, but it's just full of more air and there's yeah. less yeah. in it. And so your dollar is going a lot, uh, a lot, a lot less. It's not going as far. Do you agree, Dave? Affordability? I think, I, I, absolutely, affordability. And I think what's really interesting is, I mean, the government realizes this is affordability. Anybody who's looking at any kind of polls realizes that, that and talking to anybody realizes that well, it's slapping everybody in the face. It's yeah. so obvious. And I think it's really interesting that when you look at the government's messaging around some of its key issues, so Alberta Pension Plan, what is the government talking about? What is one of their key messages around the Alberta Pension Plan? It'll cost you less money. What is their one of their key messages around opposing the federal clean and draft clean energy, energy regulations? We want to create. We want to make sure Albertans have affordable energy. So, I, I mean, I think it, you know the, the Alberta government can get can I mean, they deserve some kudos in terms of of effectively, I think, weaving that affordability message into some of these issues that wouldn't aren't really about affordability, right? This is the, the sovereignty agenda, the Alberta First agenda. Yeah, um, and, but, and let's be clear, like the Alberta Pension Plan, you'll you'll pay less and get more. We think. Well, we think. No, we no, yeah, think yeah, we you think. might. Yeah, but 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 that's what that that's one of their key messages. And okay, whether it's here, true or not. Uh, yeah, we'll yeah, see. Well, yeah. nobody knows at this point. Um, and, and in closing here, uh, as we wrap up our take on the Dave Berta Best of Alberta Politics Survey, the best political play of 2023. This is an interesting question. And my brain's like trying to like remember back because a lot of things have happened over yeah. the course of a year. But the best political play of 2023 was what? Well, I, th I think it moderating Danielle Smith during the election. Mm. I think bringing a, a campaigner like Steve Outhouse in to run the UCP campaign and putting, you know, slamming the door shut on the controversial, every every controversial thing she'd said over the past few years, whether it be, you know, uh, saying sympathetic, th you know, or, or repeating Russian talking points about the war in Ukraine, about cancer patients, about, you know, I mean, there's a whole long list of things. Um, and I, and during the election campaign, they successfully, I mean, they basically took her off the campaign trail in a way 
you know, the, the Daniel Smith that we knew, the Daniel Smith that, that ran in the UCP leadership race, she was a very different person. And I think that uh, I think that was the biggest political play and the most effective political play of the year. Yeah, because they, they won. I, I you know what? I have to agree with Dave. Um, I think that election was the NDP's to lose. Yes. And uh, and again, you know, the fact that they came in and said to Daniel Smith, you're no longer a, a, a radio talk show host. Stop musing out loud. Yeah. Um, they pulled her off the trail where, yeah. I mean, you know, the NDs were tracking how many times she made appearances. And in the in the second half of the election, I think it was like twice yeah. in two weeks. Um, and, and, you know, it was it was a bit of an uphill and an unfair battle because I feel like Albertans set the bar. And I'm talking about the debate now. Mm -hmm. The bar for Daniel Smith in the minds of most Albertans was don't say anything crazy. Yeah. Don't say anything crazy. And you won the debate. And that's exactly what happened is that the bar uh, was so low for Smith where Albertans forgot that she's she's a, a, an incredible orator. Yeah. She's an incredible communicator. She's done this for most of her life. And so the bar was so low for her that she just had to step over it and boom. Yeah, no, I, th I think I think that's I mean, when I when I watched that debate, I mean, that that's I mean, going into the debate debate, I mean, I knew as a political watcher, I mean, I knew this Daniel Smith is incredibly comfortable at a podium. She's incredibly comfortable in front of a TV camera, in front of a mic. This is that's that's her career. Um, uh, so, I mean, that she, that she did that she did well by not saying anything crazy didn't really surprise me. But you're right. I think it's an it was a real expectations management. I mean, part of it was part of it was the, the NDP played up so much, played up the controversial things she, she was saying, which which she did say in positions she did hold. But then when she got an opportunity to stand in front of Albertans for whatever, 45 minutes or whatever, however long the debate was, and she didn't come off as crazy, um, then, you know, obviously then people thought, well, you know, they didn't they didn't they didn't necessarily believe what the NDP NDP were saying. No. And, and it, I, I, I think it was similar to I, I, I think I wrote about this at the time. I remember back in 2015, the federal election. Remember how low the expectations were on Justin Trudeau. And part of it was yep. the federal conservatives, yep. their campaign. He's not ready. You know, he's, you know, he's, he's not ready to be prime minister. And, and, and they really played up how unprepared he was. And then he came out during the debate and he came out during the election campaign and he was damn good. Yep. And yep. and it totally blew the conservative messaging off and, and people were you know were, were blown away by how how well he did now yeah. that's not to say how he's done in the past eight years or past 10 years but um but i thought there were similarities between that in terms of just pure expectations management that's dave corn we're hanging out with darren billis as well i love this uh, comment from gabe i'm not saying i agree but it's a good comment because it furthers our conversation. So, so after this uh, forty-five minute intro, we're we're, gonna, we're now going to get to the subject matter that we tapped you both there on the shoulder go. to come here and talk about. Gabe says the NDP did great in the election, uh, but it looks like they've peaked. He says I don't think that there's anybody better than Rachel Notley. That from Gabe. We're going to find out what these two think. In just a second, what does the future look like for the official opposition party that has a lot of reasons to be encouraged? I mean, they won Calgary by the numbers. They won Calgary, but they didn't form government. So ultimately, at the end of the day, it's like losing game seven of the Stanley Cup final seven to six. You still lost. So they got to figure out where they go from here. And we're going to get there in just a quick second. Every single Wednesday, courtesy of our friends at Tourism Jasper, we give you a chance to learn a little bit more about what's happening at one of Canada's crown jewels, Jasper National Park. And of course, you know that once we get through the holiday season and there's nowhere more magical to celebrate the season 
than in Jasper. But you've got Jasper in January coming up from the 12th to the 28th of January. Jasper comes alive to celebrate the lighter side of winter. There's a ton of amazing outdoor programming, mouthwatering culinary delights, parties, nightlife, celebrations in Jasper. They don't hibernate. They celebrate. And so on the tastier side of winter, you need to make sure that you're checking out the Poutine Showdown. This is a fan favorite event for obvious reasons. It's back in 2024, looking to crown a new winner. Through the festival, multiple local restaurants have their own spin on this classic Canadian dish. And so make sure you keep an eye out when you're out there. Multiple feature menus, après ski deals only come around once a year, and that is Jasper in January. There's also their After Dark series. For those of you that are looking for the louder side of winter, you're looking to ramp up your celebration, you can dance the night away in Jasper's most memorable venues, featuring acclaimed bands, musicians, DJs from across the province. Johnny, you booked to get out there, Infamous? Do they have you booked to get out if there? If I'm going out there, I'm not working right. Yeah, I'm yeah, going to enjoy enough. it. Fair enough. That sounds to me like maybe we need a Real Talk staff retreat, pal. Street parties, fireworks. You can break out your dad's or mom's neon ski suit. Take over the streets of downtown Jasper. They're going to be partying like it's 1989. I recommend you check out the Athabee. Tell them Jespo sent you. And then on the unique side of winter, uh, coming up on January 13th, not to be missed, the Jasper Polar Plunge, okay? Refresh your perspective with this new event happening January 13th, plus the iconic Jasper Pond Hockey Tournament. Get your best shinny buddies together for the most spectacularly scenic pond hockey tournament. There's everyday ODRs, the outdoor rinks, and then there are ODRs surrounded by the Canadian Rockies. You can learn more about Jasper in January. Start planning your trip today by visiting jasper.travel. Darren Billis, a former NDP cabinet minister, longtime MLA, and Dave Cornwallier, a political commentator for coming up on 20 years uh, at daveberta.ca. Dave, you've asked the question, does the Alberta NDP need a name change? The race to replace Rachel Notley as leader of the Alberta NDs. A lot of people are going to be talking about this because we love talking politics. Real talkers love it, too. Does the Alberta NDP need a name change? Oh, I think this is an interesting discussion to have. And it's um, recently uh, former Calgary Curry MLA, Brian Malkinson, launched a new group called Alberta's Progressive Future. And this group has pinned one of the big issues, one of the big reasons why the NDP lost the last election, the, the provincial election on the NDP name. Uh, so they they did a poll. They got Janet Brown, who political watchers know, a very respected pollster to ask a couple questions in one of her polls uh, about uh, about the NDP name and about its connection, Talburton's feel about its connection to the federal NDP. And that, I mean, anybody who's been paying attention to politics will recognize the UCP talking point, the Trudeau, <clears throat> pardon me, Trudeau Notley Singh Alliance. And that was something that Jason Kenney used. I mean, most of the time when Kenney was premier it was the Trudeau Notley Alliance. Uh, but then after 2021, it became the Trudeau Singh Notley Alliance. And I mean, the key uh, the, I mean, the, the key reason that that kind of that kind of talking point was effective was was and the whole point of it was to try to tie Rachel Notley to Justin Trudeau because Trudeau is so unpopular in Alberta and try that tie that through the connection through the federal NDP. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure if, if and I'm not sure if, if the if the name change entered the, the energy that needs to be used for the NDP going ahead into the next election and going into their next leadership race, whenever that happens, uh, if the name change needs to be the big issue. But I think there are Democrats who really want to have that kind of conversation. So I think that's going to be interesting. Um, I mean, this is the kind of thing that 
changes. I mean, who knows when the next election rolls around if the next provincial election rolls around. I mean, is Justin Trudeau still going to be prime minister? Is nope. Jagmeet Singh going to be the leader of the nope. federal NDP? Yeah, probably not. So is it, Daniel Smith going to be the leader of the UCP? Well, I, I think so, probably. But, you know, I mean, who, who knows? I mean, it's all up in the air, my man. Alberta politics is a road or the premier's office is a rotating door sometimes in, in Alberta. So um, but there are some new Democrats who feel that especially those who and there was a list that the group released of, of, of NDP candidates who didn't win. Some who came very close, who ran in Calgary, who ran in rural Alberta. Um, who really feel that that association with the federal NDP and some of the more left wing positions that the federal NDP takes uh, did hurt them on the doors in, yeah, uh, but in their writings. Darren, are, are people going to be fooled into like, are people going to be convinced like, oh, you you changed your name? So right. you're not like, yeah. come on, I've, I've thought a are lot we of, insulting people here? I've thought a lot about this. So, you know, first of all, what I'll say is that there are a percentage of Albertans who will never vote for the NDP because they're the NDP. Now, and I've heard this on mm -hmm. the doors. I mean, I've knocked on tens of thousands of doors in the past 15 years. But those people are never going to vote for the party, no matter what it's called. And so part of it, Ryan, I think is that, you know, changing the name, is that going to help? Let's look to British Columbia, the BC Liberals rebranded as U BC United. Mm -hmm. They are doing the worst they've done in their history. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows who they are. That was always a weirdly named party anyway, though, because the BC Liberals were the conservative option. So Correct. I, I, I always, always yeah. messed up. It's, it's interesting over there. But um, I think, you know, number one, um, the, a name change to many, many Albertans, I don't know if that's going to, to, to have a positive impact or the way that some of these folks like Brian Malkinson think it's going to. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll say number two, okay, and we're going to talk about leadership, yeah. uh, potential leadership candidates. Many Albertans have no idea who those individuals are. Mm. And I'm talking even, even the likes of people like Shannon Phillips, who was a former cabinet minister, the environment minister, Sarah Hoffman. Many day-to-day -day Albertans don't know who they are. And so you change the brand of the party, and now you've really confused the heck out of people, as opposed to they know who the NDP is. And when we talk about, you know, rebrand, I want to say, first of all, I think, you know, Rachel has done that over the past... 10 years since she's become leader, where she took a party that was a fringe party, very left-wing party, and and took the mainstream. She made it serious. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and 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 people saw that the policies were quite reasonable and that this government was appealing to the masses. It wasn't a, a fringe party. It wasn't, you know, hyper-ideological, um, which political parties can be. Um, and so, you know, I think when we talk about Rachel's successor, that it's not rebranding in the sense of change the name rebranding. It's 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 continuing the brand that Rachel uh, designed, which is not the same as the federal NDP. Um, you know, that's how I get my backup because I, I disagree with most of the policies of the federal NDP and would say, no, we are the Alberta NDP. We are pro energy. We are pro economy. You know, it's not it's not. You know, environment and economy are two sides of the same coin. They're not they're not opposites. This is remarkable what you just said, though. Like, I mean, I, I recognize you're not a sitting cabinet minister, but you're a high profile former cabinet minister and a longtime Alberta NDP MLA to sit here and say on the record that you disagree with most of the policies of the federal party, which wouldn't surprise anybody that knows you well. But for for a current NDP opposition critic, let's say, you know, the health critic, David Shepard, comes on and says, I disagree with most of the policies of the federal party. He'd probably get a phone call. 
right? Well, You'd probably get a phone call. I, I still may get a phone call myself, Ryan. Yeah. But um, no, but I think, you know, again, the, the Rachel helped uh, brand or rebrand the Alberta NDP not as, and I get that that's the conservative talking point that she answers to Jagmeet Singh. I mean, the, the reality is she answers to nobody. The provincial party is not beholden to the federal party. And so the question of those candidates that signed and said, you know, we lost because of the ties to the federal party, to be honest, how many average Albertans even know that there's a connection other than the same name? And how many would suddenly not vote for the NDP or vote for them if they said, we've separated completely from the federal NDP? So so let's get into the, the, when it comes to the succession plan here. Uh, you know, there's a couple of things that should be stated. Number one, Notley's not yet resigned. It's just widely expected that she will and probably soon. Um, and number two, it's a it's a wide open race. And so most folks will probably that, you know, that pay even a, a small amount of attention to Alberta politics, you know, have on, on their short list a few names they could throw out there uh, who would be right now when it comes to early front runners. Darren, I'm not going to ask you for one because I know you'll get you're already ticked off about getting me that survey. <laughs> I don't there. even know if I'll give you but, a few. I mean, OK, you, well, you know, Dave's got them on, on his website. But you, Dave's got them on his website. So, you know, Dave, you know, you and you chose to, to list 12 of them, Dave. And obviously it could be more than that. But you've got Najwan Aljanaid there out of Calgary. You've got uh, Jody Calhoun Stonehouse, obviously first term MLA. Very impressive. Mm -hmm. uh, Joe Cece, long time. I mean, he was a Calgary alderman, as they called them, a Calgary councillor for a long time. He's been a provincial finance minister. I suspect that that CC won't seek the leadership, but maybe he'll prove me wrong. I don't know. Uh, Kathleen Ganley, who we already know is uh, putting her team together with some formidable names. Um, you got Christina Gray, uh, who served in cabinet, obviously, as well. Uh, one last election, uh, sort of defending that seat, so to speak. Sarah Hoffman, who's my MLA. Uh, she's uh, been the chair of the Edmonton Public School Board and has been a provincial health minister. Janice Irwin, obviously very recognizable, very popular. Uh, you got Samir Candy, who you, you noted, Dave, earlier, uh, someone who Really impressed you. Racky Pancholi, who I think would I would put in the top three front runners, Shannon Phillips, who would be a formidable candidate. Uh, very popular, of course, in, in her writing of although Lethbridge is very fascinating. It is mm -hmm. when you say very popular, she was also like surveilled and followed by the police. So oh, yeah. so she's Shannon's put up with a lot of bullshit yeah, in has. Southern Alberta. Um, you've got Irfan Sabir, who who's maybe a little bit more quiet. Like he's not like this bombastic mm -hmm. sort of like he's not on social media all the time, you know, throwing hand grenades at people, but very competent. Yes. widely respected very. and then a real likable guy as well a guy who is very earnest um david shepherd uh who's the health critic uh yesterday max fawcett figures that david she david shepherd and max's words yesterday dresses too much like he's from edmonton to, to <laughs> win whimsical. the to, i believe the word was whimsical he, he dresses whimsical and he dresses too much like he's from edmonton says max which we <laughs> oh, figured really out funny. i think i think just means he wears bow ties i think that that's well what he has he's the mla for downtown so, he's, yeah, so that, that's okay um but uh johnny and i were saying i thought that you dress like edmonton is the canadian tuxedo i thought that was just all denim um but i digress so uh, you, you know you're gonna want to sit here and say it could be any of the 12 and all that kind of stuff but that's not why people are tuning into this episode so who's your top three? First of all, I want to say it's super interesting that there doesn't appear to be a clear front runner. There's no clear, at least in my view, no clear heir apparent. Agreed. And and I think that's interesting. I mean, uh, Darren talked about, you know, the, the Rachel Notley's rebranding of the NDP. And I think that's something that's really important is she when Rachel Notley became leader of the NDP in 2014, she transformed that party. And it is a very different party than it was. And I think that the results of the 2023 election are really important for this when, when the NDP hold their next leadership campaign, because what 2020, 2023 showed or demonstrated was that the 2015 wasn't just a flash in the pan. 
I mean, and after the 2015 election, we heard a lot about the accidental accidental NDP government and and the NDP were, you know, it would never there would never be an orange wave again. What and then they lost in 2019, but then in 2023 they were able to make big gains. They made big gains in Calgary, as you said, Ryan, winning more votes and more votes than the UCP in Calgary, which I never would have expected. Um, uh, they went from three to 14 MLAs in Calgary. They didn't form government. They fell short. They did really well, but they fell short. And I think that's something that will frame this 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 uh, this leadership race whenever it happens. Is this isn't a leadership race that's had, that's happening after the party has lost ground. It's a leadership race after the after the NDP has actually made significant ground. There's a lot of positives. So, there's a lot of positives. Sure. So I think what I mean, there's going to be a lot a lot of dynamics in this race. And because this is the first time the NDP have held a leadership race as a as an actual viable political party that can actually be in a position to form government, there's a lot of dynamics that I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, there's different branches of the party. There's this whole group of new kind of moderate Calgary MLAs who you know, some of them might be closer to, you know, might have been comfortable running as progressive conservatives. 10 or well, yeah, I mean, a lot ago. of them worked in oil and gas. Exactly. Got careers totally. in energy. Exactly. So this is a very different NDP than it was in 2014 when Rachel Notley won in, in, in her leadership race. How so, did that, agreed. how did that, uh, this is a loaded question. How did it get under your skin? You're like, I didn't say it did, but it must have got under your skin, all that, that accidental government, the accidental, all that stuff from, from Kenny. How did, how did that, like when you were a cabinet minister and a senior cabinet minister, how did that make you feel when you heard that? Well, it was it was it was frustrating in the sense that there were many of us who worked really, really hard um, in order to help grow the party, um, you know, and, uh, but and at the same time, you were all surprised, surprised that we formed government because, you know, if you if you the surveys before the writ dropped showed that we were going to grow, but not that we were necessarily going to form government or go from four to fifty four. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, accidental, um, you know, I, I, for me, it just, it frustrated me. But I mean, I'm, I'm the first one to say that, listen, that, that election was a combination of things. So Rachel had some brilliant moments. Prentice had uh, a, a few huge blunders yeah, yeah. That, uh, that took away. And you also had a party that had been in power for 44 years. And, yeah. and there was, uh, you know, high levels of... Uh, you know, not just complacency and arrogance, but entitlement. There were a lot of, I mean, think about, you know, some of the Redford uh, yeah. entitlements that happened, the Sky Palace, a number of things that really set the stage. Hey, can you hear me out for a second? The Sky Palace is not necessarily, like, it, first of all, it's not called, opponents of it call it the Sky Palace. It's not called the Sky Palace. And I actually think that building it is totally justifiable. And I actually think it was really smart. Yeah, but, and I do think that the premier should have a residence. But building it in secret. Building it in secret's bullshit. Yeah, that was, and, that was the big thing. And, and, and it happened around the time that there had been deceit on the flight manifests. And there yes, was a yeah. lot of stuff happening. So the timing of it was terrible. Yeah. But the, the actual investment in the residence, I don't think is as scandalous as people pretend like it is. Would you agree? It uh, like again. They you can could, say I'm out to lunch. They, they could have done it all wrong. Well, you know. So Ryan, we're, we're talking about building a penthouse because it's the top of the building. Technically, it's a penthouse. Yes, <laughs> it's a penthouse. I've been up there. <laughs> you could just say it's the top floor. And but so yeah, it's, yeah, it's, uh, you know, and and part of it was again the fact that it wasn't just being built for a premier. It was being built specifically for Alison Redford and her daughter. Like. All of it, how it was designed was for a single parent and a teenage teenager. And so, again, you know, future premiers may have bigger families. Well, that would have had to have been completely retrofitted. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think I think part of it was, again, you know, this this level of entitlement where 
Albertans were saying, you're spending all of this money for your own residence in Edmonton. And here's the, the challenges that the average family is facing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm not saying that, uh, that spending, whole... like, listen, I know for a fact that, you know, Jason Kenney in his first year when he was in Edmonton stayed at the Hotel Mac. Um, now, I love the hotel. Nothing against the Hotel Mac. But again, that's, that's. That, the optics aren't the great. The optics aren't mm -hmm. great. Yeah. That'd be a nice place to stay, though. Oh, it's a great place. Especially to stay. when you're not paying for it. Right. <laughs> so we haven't uh, heard names from either of you. you. You guys are being slippery here <laughs> around the table. So we need that to know. We, we, we know. We know for a fact that Kathleen Ganley will seek the leadership. That is a fact. Uh, we know that there are people that are currently working for the premier that will be working the campaign to elect Kathleen working Ganley for the premier? as leader. Or pardon me, for the leader of the official opposition for <clears throat> former Premier Notley. That would be a real showstopper if people were for Daniel Smith are about to work. No, but people are currently working for Rachel Notley, uh, at least one high profile individual that will be working for Kathleen Ganley's leadership campaign. Is that an ethical issue, by the way? That somebody has already somebody that's working for Rachel Notley right now has already signed on to work for Kathleen Ganley. That seems to me to give them give her a bit of a head start on the race. Some inside insights. Is there is there, is there something wrong with that? Well, I think there there's some the, potentially there's some optics uh, yeah. that that are, are challenges with that for sure. I mean, listen, what I'm going to tell you right now, Ryan, is that I've had conversations with almost everybody on your list and others. And uh, I've taken the position that it is not up to me to be confirming or denying whether someone is seeking leadership. That's up to each of those individuals. I'm not asking so, you to no, answer no, that. The I only person, and I, and I better ask this before the show is done, yeah. are you considering seeking well, and leadership? You know what I was going to say to Ryan <laughs> or to... Uh, to you is that well, why? Why is my face not one of those twelve? Well, you're on you're, your, you're on the li you're on the list. You are, you a hundred percent are a very legitimate. I, say that, I, 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 I was I was going to ask. Are you considering you. it <laughs> at this time? No. Okay. Well, that means maybe not during this five minutes. Have you considered it? Uh, yeah, yeah. In Have the, you ruled it out? In the in the past, I had for sure a um, hundred percent. You know, um, I can say that uh, in in 2019, had Rachel decided to step down that I was prepared to put my name forward uh, at that time. Um, but uh, but like as of today, no, it's 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 unlikely that I'm going to put my name in the ring. He's not ruling it out, Dave. Do you think he would have won the leadership in 2019, Darren? In 2019? Yeah. If they'd held a leadership race in 2019? Yeah. I think he I think Darren would have been a, uh, a competitive candidate. I think he would have yeah. been a, comp a compelling candidate. And I think that uh, your experience as a cabinet minister as uh economic development minister and your relationship with the business community and corporate calgary through that role um would have made you uh i mean would have made you an, uh, a different kind of candidate than the ndp may have expected in 2019. Mm -hmm. yeah you you were never like from what i've seen as a commentator and, and also an event host and i've moderated panels that you've been on and i've seen how people responded to you you were never written off by business communities as a, as and I know people don't prefer the word but like as a dipper right people were never like this is like this socialist dipper that's going to come in here and try to spread communism across there was never any of that about you you always earned and maintained the respect of the business community which is and, and to this day you do uh which i think is an incredibly important asset uh it's 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 it that that is like what that is a skill set or that's a character quality that the, the leader of a party has to have has to have you cannot be the one that's going to be like um i was going to be glib i'm not going to be glib and, and invoke international tragedy right now but you can't be the activist 
that's getting like thousands of likes on all your photos and just rely on that as a popularity contest to win leadership. That is not what party leadership is all about. Would you agree? Oh, I agree. And I think, you know, so so the timing of when Rachel does step down, I think is is very, very healthy for the party. I think like the 12 that you have on there, Dave, um, and, and there may be others that mm-hmm. decide that they want to run for leader. But I think it it's going to be, as you had said, very dynamic. I think it's going to uh, revitalize or reinvigorate the party. Um, and it's it's going to be an interesting race to watch for sure. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll circle back on some of these names here because you guys, geez, you're making me work. <laughs> um, what about outside candidates? People are curious to know. Uh, two of the obvious ones. We don't know if either of them are interested, right. but the former mayors. I've heard those names too. Iveson yeah. and Nancy are, are obvious names to consider, to throw out there, to include in the conversation. Um, and there could be others as well. Sure. Uh, what, what is the likelihood that someone that's never spent a day as an MLA could be the next leader of this party, Darren? I think they would have an uphill battle. And so the new Democrats, so party membership, the base, um, you know, is is the only way to to earn their their trust and support is to, you know, work with them alongside them shoulder to shoulder. And so this is another reason why I, I don't think it would be wise for the party to change their name is it's disrespectful to all of those people who have toiled for decades knocking on doors, doing the hard work, and you suddenly say, okay, that's great, thank you, and now we're moving on, right? And so I think a new candidate would really struggle to earn the vote of the existing membership base. Huh? I really do, unless they were a non-elected who's been on the front lines with the party base for years, and they have credibility within the party. Mm-hmm. Randy's here in the live chat. He says, I wonder if Thomas Lukasik ran, if he'd be successful in bringing in small C conservative votes. My initial response to that is that that would not work at all. Uh, former deputy premier for the conservatives. Uh, Lukasik certainly has a following. He's a smart guy. He understands how things work. He's also quite polarizing. And I don't think I just don't think anybody would buy him as, as an NDP leader. If you if, no. if, if you felt like you should lead that party, why did you run for the leadership of the conservatives? Why did you serve as deputy premier under Allison Redford? I no offense to Randy. Love Randy in the chat. But I don't think that's a serious suggestion. I, I don't I don't I don't think so either. I mean, I think that I mean, for the for the NDP, I mean, there's going to be a lot of questions that are going to be asked and there's going to be a lot of um, you know, tests that the candidates are going to have to face and, you know, questions that are going to the questions that are going to be asked about where they stand on labor issues, on environmental issues, on some traditional NDP issues. Um, but the question, the big question that I think NDP members need to answer is who is the leader who can bring them further than Rachel Notley took them in 2023? Is that is that person there? And who is that among the, among that group? Is there someone there? I don't know yet. I don't like it, I don't know yet. And that's t- why I say there's no It's tough to say apparent. because you've got like here. Here's so I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with my hockey pool. OK, guys. And uh, the Ottawa Senate have this incredibly skilled defenseman named Thomas Shabbat. Uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a pure offensive wizard. He's still in his 20s, so he's still in his prime. But here's the problem is the Senators also have Jake Sanderson, who's looking like he could be a generational power play quarterback. Very good. Now, everybody was always musing about how Sanderson might perform on the power play, but they didn't know because Shabbat, it was his spot to lose up until Thomas Shabbat broke his hand five or six weeks ago. And now Jake Sanderson gets handed the keys to run power play one. And now that Shabbat's almost ready to come back with his healed hand, guess what? They're probably not going to give him power play one back because Sanderson has had a chance to shine. 
to show what he can do. Right. Rachel Notley has been leader of this party for years. So we don't know who the Jake Sanderson is below. We don't know if there's somebody that can take the reins and ramp up the impact of this party yet because they haven't been given the chance, right? So it's not really fair to say there's not another Rachel Notley there. I mean, sure, there's no other offspring of Grant Notley. There's no political pedigree like Rachel's, but that doesn't mean there's not someone no. who could do it even better. For sure. I think I think that there are strong, uh, you know, in, in your list, Dave, there, there's a number of strong uh, names that I think could go far. But this is where I think, you know, you're Rachel Notley. You want to make sure that you're handing the party, they're handing over the keys um, when we're, the party ha is in the right shape and, mm -hmm. and she's ready to hand the keys, but also recognizing that the new leader. So first of all, you have to have a leadership race. So we're thinking, or I'm thinking it's, it's likely going to be the next fall, fall of 24. You think that far away? I do. Um, that's just Darren's opinion. That's not based on any conversations with anyone. Um, but the reality is that you're going to have a very dynamic race. And whoever comes out of there successful is going to need time to build their profile. Yeah, totally. To, you know, like, and so I'm sure that's weighing on Rachel's mind as well that, listen, you know, she's not going to wait until year three of this term to then say, okay, now I'm going to step down. Um, that person's going to need time to, to build up uh, their name, their mm -hmm. credibility, and also what is their vision? Are they, are they uh, you know, do they want to continue uh, being a mainstream party? Do they want to, and believe me, there's there's members who want the party to go back to its roots. It would be a terrible mistake. And tack to the left. Terrible mistake. Um, I agree that that would be a terrible mistake in that uh, if they want to go back down to single digits MLAs, well, okay, that's one way to do it. Um, but is that person going to have a strong economic plan? Are they going to have a strong, credible plan you know, to address climate that is going to be working with industry? Do they have a way to continue to support you know, all those other industries that have helped diversify Alberta. So our agriculture sector, forestry, tech. Um, and then, of course, what are they doing to fix healthcare? The number one issue on, uh, I think, the number one issue or, or the number two issue after affordability is healthcare. And, uh, you know, the current state of our system and, uh, and what is it going to look like in three years? Yeah. And that, that this is the X factor as well is what is the entire political landscape look like over the next six or 12 or 18 or 24 months? Right. Like, yeah. you know, it, when I asked earlier, you know, will, will Trudeau still be prime minister next provincial election in Alberta? I think the answer is no. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Jagmeet Singh will still be leader. I If I had to bet money, I think Daniel Smith will still be premier. But you never know, man. Like, you know, these these things like leaders can be especially it seems like on the conservative side in Alberta. Like if you if you lose, you know, if, you, if you're at your AGM, I mean, like King Ralph was no longer the king the emperor yeah, right. had no clothes like right by the end it yep. was like people were done with him and then there was like there's you know eddie stelmack like a likable guy was making things happen people didn't like the royalty review and he was jettisoned out and yep. maybe i'm oversimplifying a little bit but like people are not and conservatives in particular in alberta are not afraid to flush the toilet when they feel like it's time for a fresh start. That was kind of a mean metaor. I don't don't read <laughs> don't read. I'm not calling anybody anything there. They're very unforgiving. Let's not read too much into it. Let's say turn the page. There we go. They're yeah. not afraid to turn the page or rip, um, rip the page out and rip the page out yeah. and, and start a new one. Um, I'm 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 I refuse to wrap this show without uh, the two of you giving us at least a few names here. I just I just the, the, what was the point of this entire exercise? <laughs> What was the point of the exercise oh, if you're not going to give us a few? Um, and, and maybe I'll, I'll frame it in the form of a question. And so you can tell me whether or not. Uh, uh, let me ask it in this way. Does the new leader have to be 
from Calgary. I don't think it. I don't think the new leader has to be from Calgary, uh, but I think that there'll be a lot of pressure to choose a new leader from Calgary. And now every NDP leader going back to 1984 has been from Edmonton. Edmonton is their base of support. I mean, we looked in the in the you know before 2015, it was the two or four seats that that the NDP held in Edmonton. Uh, in the 2019 election, when the NDP lost ground, lost all their seats in rural Alberta and lost ground in Calgary, it was Edmonton that they held on to, save one seat. And in in 2023, I mean, Edmonton is a is is for, Fortress Orange. Um, there'll be a, a lot of NDP members are here. A lot of NDP supporters are here. A lot of NDP MLAs who were cabinet ministers and have a lot of experience are from Edmonton. There'll be a lot of pressure to choose. There'll be a lot of pressure to choose someone who's who's not from Edmonton. But I don't necessarily think it. I don't necessarily think that someone from Edmonton can't win in Calgary. I think that you know that that the the, the recent election in 2023 kind of proved that is that you know the NDP won under Rachel Notley in Edmonton. They won more votes than the UCP in Calgary. They won more seats than the UCP in Calgary. It wasn't enough to form government, but they can make big they can make big gains. Okay, so we know Kathleen Ganley is running. Uh, yeah. She hasn't announced it, but we know that she is. Uh, she's from Calgary. Yeah. So who's one in Edmonton that will be a formidable challenger? Who's one in Edmonton that should be taken seriously? Uh, well, I think I mean I think Sarah Hoffman kind of tops the list. Deputy Deputy NDP leader, former health minister. Um, uh, you know, very high profile in NDP circles. Was former chair of the Edmonton Public School Board. I think Sarah would have a, a, a lot of support in in Edmonton. Two others that I that I will will be watching in Edmonton are Christina Gray, Edmonton Mill Woods. Um, she's uh, uh, I think she's she's under underrated as a political operator, um, but I think she could do well in, in a leadership race. And I think David Shepard is kind of the one to watch. He's kind of on 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 my list and he may dress. Maybe you said Max Fawcett said he dressed. What is it? Was he dressed? What did he dress, whim, whimsically? whimsically, whimsical, 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 I, I, but I, style, man. Is... I, I think Shepard is 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 would if he decides to run. And I'm not saying I'm not announcing a leadership campaign for him. If if he decides to run, I think he'll be one to watch in this race. Can you imagine if any of us were commenting on a a woman seeking the leadership based oh, on how she on dressed? The, on, yeah, yeah, we would be absolutely crucified. Um, uh, listen, David, I'm going to get a text from David, dude. Uh, what is up with ripping my bow ties? I love that question they asked, Ryan. And so because there are people in the party who believe that the next leader has to come from Calgary, mm -hmm. and my view is no, they don't. But they have to be. Uh, accepted by Calgary. Hmm. Uh, and so, and I'm not about to spit names, but there are names on that list of potential leadership candidates who are, in my opinion, the circles I travel in, are accepted by Calgary. Who would not be accepted by I'm Calgary? I'm not answering that oh, either. Oh, come on. Because there are also names on this list that I don't think have yet been accepted by Calgary. Not to say that they couldn't, but I think the, the leader doesn't have to be from Calgary. And I know that some of the, there are current MLAs that feel that very strongly. I disagree. I think it's just a matter of, you know, being like working hard to earn Calgary's trust and support and, and being seen as not Edmonton centric. That's Darren Billis. You did a pretty good job of dodging direct <laughs> questions today, pal. I'm going to give you were, credit you a, for were that. Were you a politician? Were, were, were you a politician? Um, I resigned from our condo board last night okay. after after 17 years wow. of service. Wow. And uh, in, in my outgoing uh, remarks, uh, I heard somebody chirp from the back. You sound like a politician. I said, well, I'm doing my best to channel their skill set there. So yeah, there yeah. you have it. But uh, uh, you can, of course, uh, check out Darren. Um, you still active on Twitter, on X, at Darren Billis? 
Not yeah, as much. Just at Darren Billis. You not still have your much. account. I still have not... my account. I still have my LinkedIn. I'm more active on LinkedIn, to be okay. honest, than, than Twitter. If people want to learn more about what you and the team are doing at Council Public Affairs. Yes. Hey, in a couple sentences, you're, you're kind of like, this is a, a an entity that's established to basically cover the entire political spectrum. Right? Yeah. So when I left uh, or didn't run for re-election in May, I, I decided, you know, it makes sense to uh, to leverage or make use of the, the network that I have, but also understanding how government works. I think there is a gap between the private sector and government. And so, you know, in my role as Minister of Economic Development and Trade, I felt like I was a bridge or a translator between the private sector and government and vice versa. And so this is an extension of it. So I chose Council Public Affairs because we are a multi-partisan and multi-jurisdictional firm. And I can tell you, Ryan, that, that no matter what the sector is, Ottawa's policies, regulations impact every sector across the country. And so there are firms that only operate in Alberta yeah. And I think if you really want to service your clients to be able to to look at the the whole picture, the whole country operate in multiple jurisdictions, you can serve them better. And uh, same with the multipartisan, right? Um, we uh, we are a firm that has uh, people from all stripes. And again, you you, you want those relationships with 100%. everybody, whether they're opposition or government. In uh, real life, I mean, right. it's kind of the, I'm, I'm not necessarily comparing what we do, but maybe in, in, a, in, a, in a way, and people can check out, by the way, councilpa.com if they want to learn more about what you're doing. But same as us, this isn't a partisan show. Sometimes you'll hear takes on this show that resonate with where you stand politically. And sometimes you, you'll, you'll hear stuff that, you know, really gets under your skin. It drives you crazy. The, the, the idea being that we challenge one another, that we consider different viewpoints, that we, you know, put things through through tests, through our own intellect and, and see where we land. And, you know, I always say at the end of the day, if if you listen to an episode or maybe you have a conversation with somebody that you wouldn't normally talk to and you change your mind, that's great. If if, if you stay firmly in resolve where, where you stood in the first place also great you, you challenged your perspective and emerged where you were where you began and you can feel stronger about that position i mean i just you know that's kind of the formula for this show to be quite honest with you dave cornway joining us as well uh, obviously does an awesome job at daveberta.ca uh, you can read his piece his argument on the race to replace rachel notley as leader of the alberta ndp and make sure you Check out his annual, seventh annual, seventh Alberta annual. Politics Survey. Uh, when are you wrapping that up? You want people to do it in the next week or in so? In the next week or so, yeah. Yeah, there's details on the on the website. And then, of course, you will uh, release the results again at daveberta.ca. Thanks to both of you for coming in. Thanks for having us. Awesome Thanks so day. much. You bet. This conversation happened with the support of Real Talk sponsors like our friends at Athabasca University who want to remind you that if you're considering a post-secondary journey, uh, this year, uh, you know, you're not going to find one that's that's more open, more flexible, more well-structured to integrate with your daily life than Athabasca University. Why? Because your only commute is to your device. And, and basically, the courses, the online degrees are designed so you can complete your education wherever and whenever it works for you. It's a perfect fit for tens of thousands of Canadians. And you could add your name to the list by learning more about the AU Advantage at Athabasca U. And before we sign off, a shout out to our friends at Eden Landscaping. I know I know that this time of year you're getting out your snow shovels and your ice scrapers. and You're, you're not necessarily thinking about barbecues and outdoor kitchens and water features. But if you want that to happen, if you want to break ground in spring to have your project done by next summer, you're going to want to get the ball rolling on the design process Today, you can get started by connecting with Mike and his team. They're great listeners. We've seen it in action firsthand. They reinvented our backyard for us, and we're thrilled with the outcome. You'll find Eden Landscaping online at landscapeedmonton.ca. 
Real Talkers, we want to thank you for being a part of this conversation today. Make sure that you share it with somebody that you know it would resonate with. It could be somebody living in rural Alberta. It could be an NDP voter from somewhere else in the country. It could be somebody that says they'll never vote NDP, but you're not so sure. Whatever it is, that person in your life that's engaged or connected to politics, that's looking for good, solid, open-minded, reputable conversation, we thank you in advance for telling them about Real Talk. You can send us an email anytime as we say goodbye today to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Wanted to let you know, coming up on Friday's show, we're going to be going live to Dubai. The Real Talk Roundtable is going to feature Albertans, Canadians that have traveled over there with Canada's message in tow. Where are they focusing? All three of them will be different. And where do they see tangible results maybe coming out of COP28? Thanks in advance for your support. Thank you for being a friend of Real Talk. And we'll see you again soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.